Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I'm your host, Ron Kaiser, positive health psychologist, also a keynote and TEDx speaker and author of the award-winning and best-selling book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is The Mental Health Gym. It's your source of information regarding all kinds of things related to wellness, positive psychology, my own spin on it that I call goal-achieving psychology, rejuvenating, and other wellness-related things. It's also the place to communicate with me and to suggest guests for future podcasts. As listeners of the podcast know, we take great pride in presenting a variety of guests who lead their own lives with enthusiasm and can help us to lead our lives in a way that enables us to be the best versions of ourselves that we can be. And certainly one of the ways that we can do that is by not having to worry too much about what happens when we go online or use our cell phone or whether somebody can get into our technology and make life a lot less interesting and a lot less enthusiastic. So it's with great pride that I present today's guest. Amir Terragat is the founder and CEO of Achilleon, a cybersecurity company based in Los Angeles. Amir is a software developer and cybersecurity expert. He serves as a technical advisor to several companies in the healthcare, consumer technology, real estate, and financial sectors. Amir graduated from Harvard University and studied advanced computer security at Stanford. Guess it's unfortunate that he couldn't get into some competitive schools and had to settle on his safe schools. So, uh, but he's persevered and, and built from there. But that gives you a bit of an idea of his uh, of his ability. He's also the host of the Achillean Live podcast, which is where I first encountered him and learned a whole lot about cybersecurity, more than I really wanted to know because it got me a lot concerned. But I felt that this was really important stuff to get out to the listeners. And so, Amir, thank you for being our guest. Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. It's a pleasure to have you with us and to learn from you. Thank you, Ron. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. Okay, well, let's get right into it because I know you've got a lot to say. I've thrown out the word cybersecurity in the introduction as if uh, my listeners or I really know what it means. So just so I'm not making any false assumptions, uh, Amir, can you Tell us, what do we actually mean by the term cybersecurity? Yeah, that's that's a great question because it's one of those words that often means different things to, to different people. You know, when, when the average person thinks about cybersecurity, what comes to mind is usually software or countermeasures, things like antivirus or something like that. And they think that, you know, that's what the, the quote security is. But in reality, you know, cybersecurity from a professional or academic perspective is really a process. It's a way of thinking about 
and protecting and addressing issues that happen through digital security. So it's it's not just about preventing, it's about planning, it's about writing secure code when it's being produced. It's about risk management and making plans to address issues once they happen. And it's really done by by a group of people doing different things and, and not really by software. So that's kind of what we mean by computer security. And when did when did cybersecurity become a thing? I uh, <laughs> uh, I can remember first learning about computers and not really having to pay too much attention to cybersecurity, and then uh, started hearing about app antiviruses, and hearing that if you have Apple products, you don't need them, and then you do need them. Uh, so somewhere along the line, it became a real study when when that happened yeah it's it's really interesting i mean it's technically been been there from the beginning it wasn't always called cybersecurity but you know in the early days of computing security was you know locks on doors you know to physically you know not access the the mainframe or how you think about it you know then it was cameras to keep an eye on on who is you know, doing what, and then, you know, access management about who has access to using the computers or, 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 or mainframes or, and all of that. But, you know, I think the, the first, you know, wide scale computer virus came out, I think just two or three years after the first personal computer in the seventies. So, you know, attacks have always been there, you know, how they happen, what, how they're addressed is, is constantly changing and it's still changing today. Very interesting. So how did how did you happen to get into the field? I'm always interested as a psychologist on personal journeys to get to jobs that uh, and I didn't know existed and really didn't exist when I was choosing a career. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. I mean, I, I've always been in the technology space and the computer science world, mostly dealing with products and, and companies in regulated spaces. My, my first company out of college was a financial technology company that built trading systems. And you can imagine when you're working on things like that, there's a lot of security that goes into it. And so, you know, we always had to deal with security. There was always all the different components of it in these regulated spaces like finance and healthcare that I worked in. It wasn't until later that I really realized that security is so important just because I saw all the bad things that were happening around me and, and the problems in the space. Okay, so I know, and, and I do want to get into computers, but one of the one of the podcasts one of your podcasts that I listened to had a discussion. I mean, I I came by it by, you know, I just figured there's so much these days going on that's bad news with uh, COVID-19 and Afghanistan and gun violence and things of this nature. I sat down, uh, thought I'd enjoy a podcast. And I learned that not only do I have to worry about my cell phone, but also the phone that I sold or traded in and got cleaned out times ago. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the, the cell phone issue? Because I, I mean, that's, cell phones are so ubiqu- ubiquitous now. I guess I shouldn't have tried using a big word. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think that, you know, everybody probably is vulnerable if, if they don't take certain measures. 
Yeah, and, and what you're hinting at is that the, the, the problem of security in our personal lives is much bigger than just things we think of as like antivirus. Um, we're exposed to so many different risks and, and phones are a big one because they're such a critical part of our, our lives. There's a whole slew of potential threats that exist by having by, by nature of having a cell phone and, and a smartphone. And the one that I think you're hint- you're talking about is recycled phone numbers and phone number theft. So because phone numbers are used, you know, say in, in uh, what's called two-factor authentication or or SMS authentication, that's where you log into your bank and they send you a text message with a code to log in, or you know, you're on customer support and they send you a text message code to verify your identity, that sort of thing that that most people by now have probably encountered in some way. But because of that, your phone number is a really good target for somebody to steal your number or take your number after it's been recycled when you get a new phone number and then try to steal your bank account or try to steal some of your accounts. And there's some researchers at Princeton University's computer science department that basically published a paper saying that this is ridiculously easy to do. This is not a complicated, you know, genius hacker. Anyone can do it. And yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things that go into, you know, how do you dispose of your phone? How do you change your phone number? What passcodes should you use? So I think there there have been a couple of times over the years when my my phone was legitimately lost. I don't mean it was in the, our apartment and I called it from from another phone and found it, but where it fell out during an Uber ride and another time and I was able to to locate it fortunately, but I know I went into a panic. We have so much information in there. If you have a phone that, that's lost, what can you do about making sure, I, I mean, even with somebody who may not be using it for lots of things, I'm sure that it's a, it's a real weapon for somebody if, if the phone is lost. Absolutely. And, and the truth is, if somebody has physical control over your device, whether it's your laptop or your phone or your, your desktop, more likely than not, they will be able to break into it. And that is just a, that's a fact. That's, that's, there's commercially available software that criminals buy that is not very expensive to break into to devices. So what is advised is there's ways to wipe your device remotely if it's lost. Apple, for example, has a find my iPhone feature that lets you track your phone. And I believe it lets you wipe the phone. There's software you can buy. Our service, our software also has that ability, but you can buy software. You can enable your phone to be wiped after a certain number of attempts of somebody trying to break into it. And that's what you want to do. You want to wipe the device so they they don't have access to it long-term. What about, I know I will occasionally get an email from a bank telling me that my account has been compromised or breached or so on. I don't think it's ever come from a, a bank where I've actually had an account or, or a credit card connected with it, but they're banks with legitimate names that I know of. So conceivably I, that could happen. How do you, how does a person, whether we're talking about the computer, the phone, uh, any type of email, how do you discern what's real from what isn't? That's a, that's a really good question, and it's a, it's a really big problem that's happening. So your information, all of our information, 
is basically with a lot of third parties. So when you open an account, whether it's a bank account or, or an account with the social media website or email address or any piece of software or website you use that you have a login and password for, they're storing information about you. Each one of those sites or companies or applications have multiple other third-party vendors that they're using to do whatever it is that they do. And there's many of them. I mean, each company could have anywhere from 30 to 100 third-party vendors for things like you know, analytics tracking or advertising you know, or marketing information, let alone financial services. So what happens is that any one of those organizations, plus the ones that you have a first-party relationship with, if they're breached, your data, like your name, your password, your phone numbers, all, all your private information could be out on, on what's called the dark web. The way to verify how that's happening and more importantly, what to do with that information once someone's told you that you've been breached is to use what's called dark web monitoring tools. There's many that cost money, but there's also many that are free. On our website, we actually have a free one that all you have to do is you put in your email address and it will search the dark web for these breach notifications for any account that's associated with that email address. So you might use that email address with your bank or with your you know, social media account. And, it, and, and it'll tell you what sites it was stolen from and what was stolen. So if it's passwords that were stolen, you have to make sure you change your passwords. You don't use that password ever again on any account related to, to what you have because it's out there, things like that. So the way to, to confirm it is to verify it with a third-party tool and then take action to change information like passwords so that it's not out there. So I know we're supposed to have different kinds of passwords for, or a different password for everything, which is you know, a challenge now that there's so many things out there. So, and then I wonder about some of these password storage places, you know, are they legit? Am I better off writing it on paper and just, you know, in having two copies in places that aren't obvious? What, what's your recommendation as far as, you know, the maintenance of the many passwords that we now have? Yeah. So the best advice for passwords is, to first and foremost, not store them on paper and to use a tool, but use it the right way. So, so people often buy these tools for password management, but they don't use them the right way. The right way to use a password manager is to use it to generate unique passwords. So all of them have tools to actually generate unique, high quality passwords and then store them. If you use one of the major companies that provide these tools, you should be relatively safe. They're, they're encrypted in a way where the company doesn't have access to them. And that even if they're breached, the, the password itself isn't stolen. We often uh, advise people not to use free cybersecurity tools because you know, stuff that is available for free often has a different um, you know, uh, goal in mind for the information it gets from users. But using a password manager is the best way and to actually generate unique passwords. So, Amir, I, I just want to have a pretty simple life. I mean, there are enough other things <laughs> going on. What should I be doing to be able to not feel that being able to use these wonderful 
technological advances, the computer and phone and so on. What can I do to, to feel relatively secure that I can go about my business uh, and just not make security my issue? I, I mean, obviously, it's got to be yours, but what can I do and what can my listeners do to kind of be as protected as we can be? Well, you know, I, I would love to give a simple answer and I will try to, you know, give the easiest path to that as possible. But, you know, I just have to say that I'm not a, a fear monger. I'm not one of those people that is, uh, you know, trying to scare people. But the truth is that just in the last few years, we've kind of seen the biggest shift in cybersecurity in, in, in 30 years. And that is that in mass, Cyber criminals and attackers have shifted their focus from traditional targets, which are companies and systems, to attacking individuals. So as individuals, our threat of being attacked is higher than it ever was before. And they're doing that because it's really easy and cheap to target individuals, and it's widely profitable for them. And so we do really need to take our security much more seriously than we've ever done before. What an individual has to do, the simplest thing they have to do, it, for me, is a shift in mindset. If you, you know, ask the average person who's responsible for your security, who's responsible for your cybersecurity, the common answer you'll get from someone that hasn't thought about this is my device manufacturer like Apple or you know, Microsoft or the websites that they use or the banks they use, or maybe they think it's the government's job to protect them. But the truth is your cybersecurity and privacy is ultimately your own responsibility. And if you start with that mindset, when you open an account online or download a new piece of software and just give everything a second thought, do I wanna put this information out there? Am I using a device that I think is secure? Am I in a place that I think using this device is relatively secure before I you know, check my bank account? That is by far the most powerful thing you can do is just give it a second thought and approach things cautiously. After that, there's you know, things like antivirus, things like keeping your device up to date at all times. You know, don't let it run you know, a couple of versions back operating system. You know, those are those are probably the main ones. Yeah. Okay, that raises a couple of questions. One, <laughs> if I have an antivirus and I check my system preferences from time to time and see the firewall is is on, what does that mean? I mean, does am I protected if I've you know kind of done your kind of due diligence before I open an account and all that? Can I reasonably expect the antivirus to protect me? Yes and no. You can reasonably expect it to do one thing. And, and that is an important thing and you need some kind of protection against it. But in my opinion, it is not, it's not useful. Antivirus is, is, well, how antivirus works is something that we call signature-based security. And the way that works is it, it has a list of viruses and things that are like viruses, malware, adware and it searches for them on your computer. And when it finds something that matches this list of signatures, it you know, quarantines them or deletes them or blocks them from, from doing it, which is very useful and necessary. 
but it in no way is, is a complete solution. And the best way to think about it is this. There's no other product in the world, in my opinion, other than antivirus, that if it doesn't work, you don't get your money back. The manufacturer doesn't stand by it. You know, you don't really know what it's doing. And it, it really is just giving you its best effort. And my example here of why it's not enough is if you look to the enterprise, if you look to, to the organizations, large organizations, the way that antivirus or signature-based security is done is completely different than the way that we would do it at home. At home, you buy an off-the-box, off-the-shelf piece of software, and it runs on its own, and you don't know what it's doing. And you're hoping that it's blocking all these things. In the enterprise, what happens is that antivirus is piloted by an individual. So there's somebody that's actually doing security work, hunting down certain types of viruses, and it's controlled by a person. And a person is making decisions for the organization. Let's block this. Let's not block that. Let's go after something. And you know, individuals just don't have access to that level of security generally. And you still get data breaches with these big companies or governmental units that that's right that are more that's right. sophisticated. Are there particular clues that um, I'm thinking about if the computer slows, is that indicative of anything or is, is there something that can make should make you suspicious or that it's time to run a check or something like that or or aren't there? I mean this is really fascinating stuff but I'm trying to, Trying yeah. to see if I can find more ways of being more effective. Yeah, I mean, you know, noticing those differences, like if your computer's running slower or you're noticing things that weren't there are now popping up in your web browser. Ideally, whatever antivirus or antivirus type solution you're using, you shouldn't have to interfere with it. It should be doing those scans on its own as long as you're keeping it up to date and your computer and all the software on it up to date. But, you know, just as you mentioned, there's just so many threats that are that come from so many different directions, whether it's a text message you're getting, an email, uh, which an antivirus can't protect you against, or things happening in your web browser or through your home network. It's hard to spot it, you know, individually. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Not always reassuring, but fascinating. <laughs> as you may know, about half of our listeners are in the second half century of life. And I know that for a lot of scams and so on, that there are some that specifically target older people. Is there anything other than the general kind of warnings that you give to everybody that are specifically uh, where older folks are specifically vulnerable? Yeah, definitely. And and we see a lot of that because we do have a lot of, of older folks as, as members of our service. But yeah, I mean, the, the first piece of advice is to trust your instinct. Uh, be cautious when people call you, you know, be cautious when people email you. Don't be afraid to ask, you know, trusted friends, relatives uh, about stuff. There's never a situation where somebody, whether it's an organization or an individual calls you that something has to be done at that moment. Like you need to pay this amount of money or you have to do this right now. You don't have to ever do that. So don't, don't do it. If someone tells you you have to pay now or it's the end of the world, that's typically indicative of a scam. So, you know, get somebody else on the line, find out where they're calling from, 
you know, ask, ask a relative and just, just be cautious and don't be ashamed of, of, of doing that. Don't be ashamed that you're bothering someone by asking them. Okay. Good advice. What about uh, the whole area of recovery or remediation once, once something happens, what, what should we be doing or asking for or reaching out to or what? Yeah. So, I mean, that depending on the type of attack, whether it's like a financial fraud case, identity theft, or a cyber crime like ransomware or, or account theft, which is a very common one we see these days. Uh, somebody steals your YouTube account or your Twitter account uh, and then, you know, charges you money to give it back to you. Very common. You know, it depends. You know, the remediation process is expensive. The truth is it's, it's more expensive than doing the security work uh, in the first place to prevent that from happening. But, you know, it can be as simple as taking your computer to a repair shop to get it fixed, or you might have to hire an attorney. You know, there, there's, you know, liability that sometimes goes along with it, with these cyber crimes to, to you. So, you, you know, you just want to look for the right person, a trusted source, and, and honestly hope that you never get to that point, because that, that can cost significant uh, amounts of money. Okay, so... Uh... Can't say that it's all been, uh, been fun <laughs> talking with you, but it's it's been very, very informative. So I think we should find out a little bit about what, what do you actually do and what services do you provide and, you know, who is it directed toward? Yeah, so uh, Achilleon is uh, elite managed cybersecurity for individuals. So you can think of us as the most comprehensive cybersecurity and financial crime service out there. There are three parts to what we do. It's software that goes on devices, so smartphones, tablets, computers, laptops, that protects against a whole slew of things. So it includes antivirus, but it also includes network level security, VPN. Uh, it's basically what we like to say the only security tool you'll need. The second part of our service is monitoring. So it's 24-7 live monitoring in the U.S. by cybersecurity professionals. So you can think of that as ADT for cybersecurity. Something happens, we contact you and let you know that there's been a, a breach or, or something that's happened, and we get involved in fixing it. So we'll actually remove the virus from your computer or retrieve a ransom uh, account. And then the last part which is, I think, the most interesting to people is that it includes coverages if something happens. So there's a million dollars of identity theft and loss of funds coverage, and then up to $150,000 of cyber coverage. So that pays for like loss of use, loss of income, ransom, repair of your devices. And those are backed by two major insurance companies. And the way we like to think of it is that we're able to offer those because we know our security is so comprehensive that they're able to cover these sorts of events happening to our members. So yeah, that's our service. It starts from $20 a month. Our customers range from celebrities and business owners and CEOs to lots of retirees, family members, families, young people. Um, it's a very big mix of people across the U.S. That's really interesting. Does it cover... Uh... 
if you have more than one device or is how is that added price or is it a different kind of thing or if you've got you know two computers and and two cell phones or something like that um, yeah um, absolutely so the lowest plan which is the personal plan it's twenty dollars a month covers two devices and it could be any two devices the highest plan which is the family plan is $80 a month, and that includes 10 devices and covers two adults and, and children. Okay, that certainly sounds reasonable for what, what you're getting. The uh, question is, is that is there a kind of a guideline as to when somebody needs to go that route, or is that pretty much what you should be doing instead of just relying on an antivirus, no matter who you are? Yeah, so so my opinion is that, and, and we've priced this product to be competitive with an antivirus. And so, yeah, our, our opinion is that this is much better than antivirus. And you want to do something like this before you come across having to, to ha- experience a breach or, or a compromise. Because at the end of the day, for most people, it's not about money. You know, if your documents, your photos, your information gets stolen or deleted or wiped out, there's no amount of money that can replace that. And it, people people care about it differently. And if you're like me, you know, if you take your security and, and privacy as something that you have to protect yourself, you don't want to, to rely on someone else to do it. And this is a way to own your own security. It's really good to know. The, the something I just thought of and off the wall may, yeah. may not be in your area at all, but are, are landlines secure? Are, they, are some of the things that you mentioned about cell phones an issue with landlines? Yeah, I mean, you know, most of the issues with cell phones are around SMS messages, which are used as a second factor of authentication. Because you don't have that on landlines, it's not, a, not as big as a problem. If your concern is like encrypted communication, like people eavesdropping on you, the landline may be less secure for that. There may be better ways to use uh, you know, digital means of communication for, for secure voice. But no, the, the, the landline is, doesn't have the same risks as this, the cell phone number because of the text messages. Okay. Aside from the plans, I, can you, as I said, I found you online listening to your podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about that or any, anything else that uh, you're doing online besides the, the actual security work? Yeah, I mean, I uh, I have the Achillean Live podcast where we talk a, a lot about different security and startup related issues. You know, I'm on Twitter at Ateragot, where I tweet about a lot of security and, and software related issues. But but mostly, I spend my time bringing attention to this issue of personal security. And I'm working with companies to bring attention to this issue too. We provide these services to companies to give to their employees. You see things like the Colonial Pipeline ransomware attack that happened a few months ago Mm -hmm. that knocked out access to half the country for oil, for gasoline. And the, the media headline is ransomware. But in reality, that attack was an attack on an individual, not on a company. The way that attack occurred, according to reporting from Bloomberg, was that an individual employee's personal device was compromised. They accessed his passwords for other accounts that he owned, not related to the company. That password 
happened to be the same password to log into the company VPN. They tried it, it worked, and they got into the Colonial Pipeline system and then uh, did the ransomware attack. So companies are starting to understand that their employees are actually their biggest threat surface in their personal lives. And what I'm trying to do is get companies to, to help their employees protect their privacy and security the same way that companies help them with their health insurance or gym memberships and other benefits. Okay, wonderful. It's really an important thing. We'll have all the contact information in the show notes, but how about if you spell both your name since since yeah. that's how your Twitter account goes and yeah. uh, also the name of your company so that if somebody is just taking it down and not listening to the show notes or reading the show notes, they can have that. Absolutely. Um, my Twitter is at a Terragot, which is a T A R I G H A T. And our company, Achilleon, is a C H I L L E I O N dot com. And uh, we have uh, uh, free trials if anybody wants to try it out. Um, they can try try the service and the software out for free. Well, I certainly hope some people will take you up on it. I know that the advice you've given us today will really resonate with a lot of people, probably scare a few people like me too, in terms of uh, not not feeling overconfident. It's kind of a, a shame that we have to live this way, but by the same token, uh, apparently it's not all that hard to to be a hacker and it's lucrative lucrative enough that until they find a way of uh, managing them uh, legally or otherwise, I think one of the first things you said is probably the most important that we're responsible for our own cybersecurity. And, uh, but it's good to know that there is good help available. And I really appreciate uh, how much you've shared with us today, Amir. It's really been great having you as a guest and uh, Look forward to uh, maybe doing this again sometime. And yes, definitely. Thank you so much, Ron. I really appreciate uh, uh, you letting me come out here and speak about this important issue. Great. Well, you know, we, we've had some entertaining guests. We've had some informative ones and you've done both. And uh, <laughs> I really, really appreciate it. So this has been another and very important episode of Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. Our special guest today was Amir Terragat. And uh, I think we all learned a lot today. So let's put it to use. And uh, certainly if uh, you have issues that involve cybersecurity, Amir is the guy to, to connect with. That brings another episode to a close. Remember to visit our website, the Mental Health Gym. Dot com. Also, we hope that you will uh, not just listen to this episode, but tell your friends about it, download it, review, uh, rate, comment, and be back next week when we'll have another important and interesting guest and be able to learn more about leading our lives with enthusiasm and hopefully without uh, too many cybersecurity threats. I don't know if we'll be able to beat today's guests in terms of uh, 
you know, the amount of information, but I, I know it'll be worthwhile. So hope you'll see you back next week. Meantime, remember we're still in the pandemic. So stay safe out there. Take care.